to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. As you know, we love talking about team building, and uh, we're going to break down a lot of information today as we talk about uh, building a team and then what you do once you have the team there. Um, but some, some really key points, you know, it's interesting, the guest that we have on today has uh, experience in both the private and public sector, and there's so many things that are just transferable uh, when it comes to team building and getting the right people around you. Um that it doesn't really matter the company size. It doesn't matter um, whether you're private or public. There are certain just fundamental things that have to happen uh, when it comes to team building. And one of the things that becomes a common thread through our conversation today is communication and the need to communicate and the ability to communicate at all levels, top to bottom. And uh, one thing that tends to happen when we're in this leadership role is we want to push communication down, but we're not as great about um, allowing communication to flow back up and getting information from people um, within the organization. And what, what I really want to encourage you to think about here is how can you incorporate that better into your structure? How can you make sure that you are getting feedback from the people in your organization and not just simply about you? And that is important, but just about the the company as a whole. And how can you get information uh, about what's happening with other leaders in your organization? And uh, what I recommend here is take the time to um, meet with people that are directly below your direct reports. So let's let's unfold this a little bit. If we have seven direct reports, if I'm a president of a company and I have seven people that are in director or VP roles, and then underneath them are, um, you know, each of them have, have five to 10, then I, I know it can seem time consuming, but what I really recommend you do here is you need to take time uh, occasionally to meet with those people. And it can be in a casual format, but occasionally I believe you actually do need to sit down one-on-one or in a, in a group setting even um, just to say, hey, what's going on? How are things going with John? How are things going with your boss? Uh, what are you seeing go on around here? You've got to build that rapport and you want to build that relationship. And it, and it needs to happen casually throughout the year. It needs to happen casually, uh, just kind of in normal business operation. But occasionally, I really recommend that you take time to to have that formal conversation with someone to say, I want to know what's going on. I want to learn from you about how things are going in this organization. What can we do to help better support you? What are some things that could be done in your role? How would you evaluate your boss? Um, And, you know, in a confidential way between us, but you're never going to get the truth in that meeting. If you haven't built the relationship up um, through other casual conversations, which means you as the leader in your organization need to be spending time in your business occasionally. That management by walking around, if you've ever heard of that, that's where this plays in. You need to spend time just building a relationship and getting to know the people uh, that are within your business so that you can sit down with them occasionally and say, what's going on? How's it going? Communication is such a key part to making sure that the organization runs effectively. If not, it's all about you as the leader saying, this is what needs to happen. This is what we're going to do. And if you don't really build that trust for the communication to flow back up to you, then you're going to miss out on great opportunities. You're going to miss out on, you're going to reach disasters that could have been avoided simply because you did not open up those channels of communication. So 
that continues to be brought up in our on our discussion today with our guest. Um, it, it's something that that we continue to hear as a common theme is this concept of communication. But that's a, a specific part of the communication channel that I want you to really think about in your business right now is that that communication from the bottom up and making sure that you are opening yourself up to be able to hear, to be able to receive information and to do so in, in a way that really encourages your team to grow. Thanks so much. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week on the Employer Blueprint podcast. Uh, we've got Paul Comfort with us today, um, who has uh, recently released a, a new book called Full Throttle and um, has a lot of experience and expertise uh, in the transportation space. But, but uh, you know, within that, just being able to build high-performing teams and, and what that's been able to do for the businesses and the companies that he's uh, led and been a part of. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. So first, uh, tell us, where, where are you talking to us from today? Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having with me. Uh, thanks for having me with you. Uh, I'm calling you from the eastern shore of Maryland, God's country. Good, good. Well, welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Um, Thank you. So, Paul, as we jump in here, why don't you, uh, you know, share with us what your career journey has looked like, um, you know, how you got to where you are now. Well, great. And uh, again, it, uh, it's great to be with you on a podcast, which is dedicated to really what the theme of my career has been, which has been building great teams. Uh, I believe that any of the success I've had has been due, you know, not not necessarily just to what I've been doing personally in my career, but through the people that I've been surrounded with, uh, you know, what I believe the blessing of God has been in my life yeah. and, uh, and working closely with my friends uh, who I've made in the industry. So my career, um, I'm 53 years old. I've been working uh, for just over 30 years, about 31 years. Um, grew up here on the Eastern shore of Maryland, went to college, got a bachelor's degree in history, I just studied what I loved. And I think that's one of the keys to life is, you know, not just doing what I think is going to make me bucks. I never intended to teach history or anything. I just loved it. And I figured I was smart. I'll get a job and uh, ran ran for public office when I was 21, ran for county commissioner and state central committee. I was very interested in politics, Um, won for central committee, lost for county commissioner, but made some great friends uh, and met a guy. It's a story of my life. I met yeah, a guy. Yeah. I met a guy while I was running who was also a candidate, and he was the director of the Department of Aging in the county. Uh, his name was Irving, and uh, he liked me and said, "Paul, you're a great young man. You've got a lot of you know umph and vision and energy. And yeah. how about you become the county's first transportation coordinator?" And so that's how I ended up in my career. Thirty years wow. later, I'm still in this. Yeah. Just a guy <laughs> on a phone call said to me, "You know, he actually asked me, would you rather be the nutrition director for the senior centers?" or the transportation coordinator. I said, I don't know. Which one do you think I should do? He said, well, why don't you try transportation in Baltimore, which is yellow cab, yellow bus, to help them as vice president of national contracts to take their company national. Mm -hmm. We did that. Then I was recruited away uh, by another company and several private companies. I worked around the country doing business development, got my law degree, ended up getting back into politics, uh, ran for state's attorney in my home county, uh, in 2002. Again, I lost, but something better came out of it. 
Yeah. Uh, I was able to become county administrator, which was the CEO of the county government. So I oversaw the budget of the state's attorney's office. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the guy that won was a great guy who ended up becoming a judge and a congressman. We became good friends. And, uh, and I ended up liking what I think I was doing even better. Went on to a bigger county near Washington, D.C., became their CEO of their county government. Mm-hmm. And then got back into transportation after that gig. Uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, basically responsible for the day-to-day paratransit operations in D.C. and Northern Virginia, the fourth largest paratransit system in America, basically service for people with disabilities, 10,000, yeah. eight to 10,000 trips a day, taking people you know, individually, one-on-one, picking them up and taking them to the doctor or their job or their appointment. Yeah. And then uh, ran for county commissioner uh, a third time, ran for office and won this time, was top vote getter in 2014. There you go. Uh, and a good friend of mine won for governor, Larry Hogan. Uh, and then Larry picked me to be his head of the MTA, which is uh, the bus and train service in Maryland, headquartered in Baltimore. I ran that for a couple years uh, and then uh, left there and went to work for this company, Trapeze, which is one of the world's largest transportation technology companies. So yeah. during that time, I know we're going to talk about it. I was able to, to assemble great teams. And I yeah. want to today, if we have time, walk you through the process of building those teams, assembling them, and then you know, kind of giving them vision and then letting them loose to create yes. wonderful things. Yeah, that's perfect. Yes. And I do want to dive into that because I think, um, of course, I'm super passionate about it. And I, I, I love hearing uh, the process and what people have done. And um, so I, I can't wait to, to dive into some of that. Um, there are a couple things that I think are really interesting about your story uh, that, that I want to, I want to uh, work through a little bit here. So okay. you continued. Um, what was it about that passion for um, public office, for public service that continued to push you in that direction? I mean, a lot of people never even think about doing that. And not yeah. only did you think about it, I mean, from a very young age, you, you worked in that direction and then consistently went back and said, no, I, this is something I want to do. So what was it about that public service that, um, that really continued to push you in that space? That's an interesting question. I think um, uh, it was a combination of things. So I was raised, I'm, a, I'm what they call a PK. I'm a pastor's kid, preacher's okay. kid. Yeah. I was yeah. raised in a home uh, whose purpose was to help people. And so it was instilled yeah. in me from an early age, public service. Now, my dad did it through the church. I never really felt like that was my calling. I mm-hmm. felt more engaged in kind of the, the public realm. And yeah. so I wanted to work in government or, or elected office of some type because I felt like that's where I could actually help the most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is our lives what, what do our lives really mean if it's not in service of others? Mm-hmm. People whose lives are only in service of themselves, you know, we know what happens with them. They become morally bankrupt and, uh, you know, an ever, ever usually spinning spiral of dis- defeat and destruction in their lives. Yeah. Our life needs to be spent in the service of others. And so I truly, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I've done it largely through transportation, but also in this more generic government sense. I also enjoy public speaking. And I enjoy people. I'm a people person. So to be honest with you, you know what I really love? I love running for office. I love going door to door, shaking hands, meeting people. A lot of people don't like that. I love it. I have met thousands and thousands and thousands of people in my county knocking on their door, just talking to them about their life and, you know, what their concerns are and how government might be able to help them. I love going to fairs, walking down, shaking hands. I just love it. Uh, I love everything involved in running for office. It's almost more fun than 
then when you're actually there and then you get beat over the head by everybody for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get beat over the, it's, it's a thankless job once you get in there. Right. But, uh, but it is, a, it is a chance to actually make a difference. So I think yeah. a combination of those things, the drive to help people to be with people uh, and to speak and kind of um, move people through uh, communication, which I think is uh, something that I'm good at, uh, both verbal and written. That's yeah. what motivated me to be involved in politics, to really make a difference. I saw a lot of dumb things happening, uh, and I felt like, you know, so for instance, just as a quick story, yeah. this last time I ran, the previous board of commissioners had put in place a beach parking permit fee. I live in a wonderful area of the Eastern Shore right across from Annapolis, Maryland, called Queen Anne's County. And we have a bunch of beaches in the county, and it's all been paid for in the past. The beaches have been paid for with public funds. We have something called Project Open Space in, in Maryland. And so these were great beaches, and people love them. There's three main beach areas. That's all we have for people to go to. Yeah. Well, the last set of commissioners decided, hey, if you're going to park there, you need to pay and get a permit. Uh, and, and you have to have that permit in your car to park at the beach and to enjoy what's already been paid for. Yeah. Now, there may have been valid reasons for that, and I'm sure in their minds there were, but I thought it was dumb. I thought it was a stupid idea. These beaches were already paid for. Yeah. Why should we have to pay to go to our own beach? Uh, and so right. I campaigned against that and won, I think, largely because <laughs> I was opposed to that. And yeah. after I won, you know, the first thing I did, I led a coalition of four of the five commissioners. We voted it down, and me and another commissioner went out and publicly pulled the first sign out of the ground and said, yeah. you know, uh, to hell with this. We, yeah. we were opposed to this. And it, yeah. it felt so good to do what I felt was good for the people of the county. So those are the kind of things, you know, you can actually yeah. rally people against something a lot more than you can for something, it seems like. And they were definitely against that that fee. After the primary, I, I didn't get offended at the fact that they had another friend that they ran with. I went to them and said, look, we need the team together. Uh, right. what, are the things we, what are the things we do agree on? And so we found out that there was like eight or 10 things that we all agreed on. Yeah. And I said, well, let's run as a ticket and let's run on these 10 topics. And so we yeah. did. We ran as a ticket. We did joint fundraising. We ran joint ads and we all won. Uh, yeah. the, the four of us all won for our office. And so we were able to then go in and on the first night in office, boom, 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 put in place the 10 things we had talked about all because we had a team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, it's amazing the difference that makes whenever you all are unified um, and can find those things that look, we disagree here and here, but this is what we agree on. Let's make the most of that because otherwise we're That's divided right. and nothing's going to get done. And yep. um, being able to come together makes such a huge difference. And obviously the same holds true in the workplace because we're never all going to 100% completely agree, but let's figure out <laughs> the things we do agree on and let's make something happen. Uh, That's right. Makes such a huge difference in what we're able to accomplish. Um, so Paul, your new book, Full Throttle, um, you know, obviously you're a guy of high energy and, and your book is about living life to the max with no regrets. And, um, you know, so many interesting things through your career journey. I mean, a degree in history makes no sense, you know, for, for where you are right now. And, um, and then you have this, uh, you know, you could be on here today talking about uh, nutrition and, and kale and lettuce instead of um, uh, you know, the impact of, of our transit system. So, I mean, just so many things that have happened through the course of your career, but that you've been able to take those things and tackle them head on and say, here was an opportunity. Here was a connection that I made. Here are things that happened. It's not the way I planned it, but look what, what amazing thing happened because of this. So, tell us about, uh, tell us about this book and, and what it helps people understand about their own journeys. 
Sure. Well, the book is is uh, is a compilation of stories, uh, twenty one stories from my life, and then nine other CEOs from the transit industry each wrote a chapter about stories from their life when they had to go full throttle, when they had to kind of put the pedal to the metal mm-hmm. to achieve the the their goals in their life. And all of them, including me, all of us have reached the goal of chief executive officer of something of a trans agency or a transit company mm-hmm. and it, it we all agree that the way to get there is you have to um well one like you talked about you have to have resilience and that's actually the topic of my upcoming book it's going to be called resilience mm-hmm. um but but you have to be able to bounce back from the twists and turns in life all of these guys uh have had those kind of situations one of the chapters is by a guy named robbie mackinnon who is ceo of the kansas city area transit authority i was just with him last week at a conference and and as we left he told me paul i love you i said i love you too buddy this is a guy who went blind seven years ago as an adult Mm -hmm. he was a father you know husband a social worker in kansas city and um suddenly he had this um this thing happened to him which caused the nerves behind his eyes to uh be damaged and he lost his sight like overnight and he went you know everywhere went to the mayo clinic and Kind of, you know, after that, obviously, he almost went into one of these curl up and die modes, you know, or curl up and cry modes yeah. where he felt sorry for himself. How am I ever going to support my family? How does this happen to me? Then he had an incident occur where he kind of came face to face with his mortality there with his children, you know, crying about, is this going to happen to me, dad? Am I going to go blind? And he realized he couldn't continue in his self pity. He had to be resilient. He had to bounce back from that. And so he determined that he would. And he said, I'm going to make the most of what I have. You know, like um, Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you're at. It's one of my favorite quotes. And uh, and so he did. And he repurposed his life. And he told me that, Paul, losing my sight gave me new vision for my city. And he ended up taking a position he had had on the board of directors of the Kansas City Area Transit Authority as a social worker and coalesced that group around him. And they actually elected him as the CEO then of his transit system because they saw his vision and passion. And he created something called Ride KC Freedom, a first of its kind in the nation, kind of like an Uber or Lyft for people with disabilities run by uh, the the local agency. So it's not like traditional ADA service where you have to call and make a trip appointment one to seven days in advance. There's lots of rules and regulations from the federal government about it. He created this thing and now he's expanded it beyond people with disabilities. He calls them diverse abilities. And now anyone can use it. But you pay more if you don't have a disability, and that helps subsidize the people that do have disabilities. So it's a brand new model, and it's really – that's the theme of the book, Full Throttle, is that sometimes life throws you a curveball. So I go in and talk about how I run for office three times and how you know I lost two of the three times, but each time something better came out of it. Even when I won, something better came out because I won for county commissioner, but then – uh, my buddy, the governor said, I'd rather you do this, which was even a higher position. So yeah. I left to take that. So the twists and turns of life, if you're living full throttle with purpose and passion, you won't have any regrets. You won't climb the ladder of success your whole life only to find out at the end, it was leaning against the wrong wall. That's yeah. not what you want to have happen in your life. <laughs> and really, again, back to your point, a lot of that comes from the input that you get from the teams of people yeah. that you surround yourself with. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's so true. The um, uh, There's so many things that we can learn from our connections, from the people that we surround ourselves with, from the teams that we have around us. And, uh, and you know, and sometimes we're in positions where we are able to build that team on our own. And other times, uh, you know, like in the in the commissioner situation where, um, you know, this team was sort of put around you and you've got to figure out, okay, how do we make the best of this? How do we make something good come out of this situation? So um, that's good. I really as, like that. It's a good point. Yeah. As you are, you know, as you've worked your, through your career, as you've alluded to, that career doesn't happen. Those steps don't take place. That success never, um, uh, never gets foreseen if you don't have those amazing teams around you. So let's talk about this. Um, what's involved in building a great team? What's involved in, in uh, developing those people around you so that you aren't sitting there autonomously trying to figure out what do I do, but instead figure out what can we do collaboratively together to make something great happen here? Right. Well, I believe in, uh, you know, kind of kinetic energy and how uh, the law of attraction. And so mm-hmm. I think that, um, if you are someone who has a passion to achieve something, not just for yourself, but actually make an accomplishment, you will attract people to yourself. Remember, you know, the Pareto principle, right? 80% mm-hmm. of the outcomes come from 20% of the input. So 20% of the people here on earth are causing 80% of what's good or what's bad. And yeah. they don't do that alone. They attract people to them. And so as people are attracted to me, as I come into any new situation, or I bring them from previous relationships I've had, I look for three things. I look for character, the ability, and the willingness to put their shoulder to the stone and push and push and not be the first one out of the building at 430, but understanding that this isn't a time-based function. This is a uh, task accomplishment that we're working on here. When I was county administrator in Charles County, I joke about uh, how several times I go to the front door at 4.30 p.m. and watch the herd of people come downstairs and run outside at 431 yeah. Uh, free from the bonds of their work. Then I'd go upstairs, <laughs> and, I'd go upstairs and see who was really still there working. And then I knew who my leaders were, people yeah. who were willing to have character. Then you want competence. You want the ability to do the job. I had a buddy of mine who wanted to sing when we were younger. And he was an awful singer. And uh, I was in music. I had a band called Sons of Thunder. We made a record and toured. And I was a lead singer and keyboard player. And yeah. uh, I used to tell my buddy, Don, Don, have you ever thought about taking up the guitar? How about being a sound band? Because you just don't have it with a voice. So you actually have to be able to do that job. You have to have competence as a leader. Uh, And then you also need to have the flip side of that, which is the ability to lead and motivate people to do things they never would have done on their own. Then I look for people who have the ability to communicate. And by that, I mean they're not not complete introverts. Uh, There is a role for introverts in any organization. But when I look for leaders, I want somebody who, even if they're an introvert, can communicate, that will let me know what's going on, that won't hide. Uh, that won't run off and hide. I, I need to know, I need to have a connection with them. Not that I want to micromanage them. I just need to know that I have a connection. And then right. you wrap all three of those up, character, competence, communication with loyalty. Loyalty, mm-hmm. I think is important because whenever you're moving a mountain, whenever you're trying to change something, you are disrupting the status quo. And mm-hmm. there are people who are invested in the status quo and they will attack you and what you are trying to do. And so you yeah. need to have teammates with you that you can trust to have your back when you're not looking. Those are the three things we look for that I look for in the people that I surround myself with. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So character, competence, uh, ability to communicate, and then wrapped around uh, a loyalty. So 
So when we have that team together and, and we feel like we've got people that, um, that have the right personality, they've got that character, we have, uh, they're competent to do the job, they know how to communicate and work well with others, what do we do to get people on the same page to collectively move towards a common goal or towards a mission or a vision? Well, it's almost as if you and I talked about this ahead of time because <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to tell you next. So then I've got several steps I go through, which yeah. I'm going to walk through now. And then I want to make sure we don't leave out the four stages of organizational development because that is so key. You know, the form, storm, norm, perform. I'm sure you've heard about that. Yeah, so I'm yeah. going to walk through that at the end. Good. But the first thing I think you need to do as the leader is to institute a new North Star. You need to have something that everyone is rowing in the same direction, like the sailors of old. Before they had compasses, you know, Columbus and those guys, they would look to the North Star and then everyone knew the direction we were going. You yeah. could you could uh, fathom where you were going to go from there. And so for me at the MTA, when I was CEO of the 11th largest transit system in America, I said, listen, we're not going to be just focused on ridership. We're not going to be focused on, you know, expansion of service. What we're going to focus on is what I think the four fundamentals are. Safe, efficient, reliable transit with world-class customer service. And everything we do is going to be focused around that. So yeah. if you don't know what you should do, is it, is it going to make us safer? Is it going to make us more efficient, more reliable, better customer service? And then uh, we have to establish what your measurements are going to be. Once you know what the goals are, then you have to have steps, the iterative progress. And so you need to establish what are called key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. These are the, indi the correct indicators, again, so you're not climbing the ladder of success to find it's leaning against the wrong wall. What yeah. is it really that we need to be measuring? Well, we need to measure things that what makes us safer. Uh, those might be what we call the accident frequency rate. What mm -hmm. makes us more efficient and reliable? That's the on-time performance. And then you need to establish the benchmarks. So then you know, are we you know, are we pushing ourselves to go a little bit better than we were today? Yeah. And then the third thing you need to do is to build your team relentlessly, to bring in that team of competent, dedicated, and loyal leaders and managers to assist you, who buy into the vision, who agree with it, and relentlessly work to accomplish it. And then I think it's key that in a big organization, you need to break up the power of the back office functions. What do I mean by that? I think the people in charge need to be the people that are the ones in the transit world who make the buses you know, make the wheels and the bus go round and round. They're yeah. the ones that are actually in operations. But what happens, Kyle, in a lot of places and a lot of big organizations I've been, both in government and the private sector, is that the back office support functions of human resources, finance, IT, procurement, legal, engineering, in these large agencies, they often accrue unjustified power that ends up dictating the decisions to line management and subverts efficiencies. They're the ones that say, this is the way we've always done it. They're yeah. the ones that are so focused on risk management that they don't allow the CEO or the COO to make big plays. They want to shrink the size of the playing field like a football field instead of playing to the end where you can get a little chalk on your shoes. They want you to play in between the hash marks where you're like the Redskins, my team, was back in the 80s where every play you run down the middle of the field, you get one yard, one yard, one yard. You don't yeah. make any big plays that way. So you have to make sure that the right people are calling it. And then you have to champion and uh, what the project is you're working on. You need a new big project that, or existing project that you get people excited about. And then you have to communicate, 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 both um, upline to your stakeholders and both to your peers and then also to the employees of your agency and get them involved in it. If you do those things and then you are involved in directly arbitrating any conflicts that come up as you work through that, you can actually bend the bureaucracy of any agency toward excellence with that team of people that you've assembled around you. Mm -hmm. And then you can get to a tipping point where the right amount of people come on board and agree with the direction you're going 
and start leaning into uh, the direction you're going. And that's how you move big agencies and have exponential improvements. Yeah, that's great. Those are yeah some excellent, uh, excellent tips in there. You know, what I, what I love here uh, in all of that, especially is breaking up the power of the back office functions. I mean, there's so much truth in that. And, um, and I think the larger where, where you really see it, or at least I've seen it in the um, in the private sector, is in those mid-sized organizations. You know, the larger, you know, incredibly large organization, oftentimes there's enough distance and separation in some of those functions that the high-level executive leadership can work uh, kind of autonomously and do what they need to do. And you're right. but and in your small um, company, sometimes this happens, but generally you have a business owner that ultimately is going to make most of your decisions. But in your mid-sized companies where a lot of those lines get blurred, you really see this happen a lot where um, uh, where those back office, where those support roles and those support functions, someone either has been there for 20 years and they're just such a key employee or because of the personality they have, they've been able to play the office politics. And, yep. um, and, and you're so right. It's uh, oftentimes they can stifle the success or the progress of the organization because um, because of one or two people who's really the, their primary role is to support the movement of the organization and not hinder it. And um, that's a great point of, of being able to break up that power of the back office functions to help move things forward. I love that. I think that's some great yep. information. And- and those people often, Kyle, have tenure. So the people in operations get chewed up and, and get turned over more often. The people right. in these back HR functions, administrative functions, finance, they could end up being there 10, 20, 30 years yes. in that midsize operation. So they kind of know the lay of the land, where the bodies are buried. When I got to the MTA, I had the union president come to me and say, Paul, this is an organization with 3,300 employees and 2,000 contractors, over a billion-dollar operating capital budget, big, big agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the union president came to me and said, Paul, who's going to be running this place, you or the head of administration? And I said, what are you talking about? And he went through and explained to me how he thought that you know the administrative departments had basically been dictating to the top executive management how the agency, they basically delimited their options. They didn't yeah. tell them what they had to do, but they told them, you can't do this, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And they so limited their options that they only had a few plays they could play and they weren't enough to do the kind of big improvements that needed to be done. And so it's just a lesson to be learned that you just mentioned. And I think that's uh, something that all leaders, as you build your team, you need to make sure that you know kind of what you're coming in against. It doesn't mean they're bad people. These no. are just people that this is the way they think things have always been done and should be done. It's yeah. easier for them. They don't have to do things new. But if right. you want to bring change to an organization, you need to at least be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's that, uh, that that easy can oftentimes be the antithesis of progress because we want to be comfortable. We want to be, um, we know what we're doing here. We know how this looks and it's not terrible. It's okay. And we're all right with being okay. And so we don't want to move forward. And, um, and uh, that, that is some excellent information that, that I hope people really take note of is, is the power of the back office functions. And, and again, this can happen in any size organization, um, but you really see it just, just, you know, Paul, just as you had mentioned there for that exact reason. I mean, I can, I can picture companies and, and in my head where I've seen this happen, <laughs> exactly yeah. that, where, uh, you know, your CEO or your executive leadership team, um, they, you know, they're there for a few years and then they move on to something else, but you have an HR person or you have an accountant or you have a finance person that has been there for 20 years and they're sort of the informal leader, but their goal is to keep things just as they are because that's the way it's been for the last 10 years and we like it that way. 
And um, that's a that's a really good point. So. So, Paul, you know, once we've got this great team together, now what do we do? Um, you know, right. we've, we've created this common vision. We've got some ideas. We've, we've broken up this power. We've got a project in mind that we're all working towards. Now what's next for us? So, uh, as you have this team now that you've built around you with the three C's, et cetera, I think uh, we all agree on the vision. We all agree on the iterative steps that are going to be needed that, uh, to indicate success, that you're not going to let somebody go a full year completely going off on the wrong direction, but there's regular statistical data reporting that comes in that the organization is run by the numbers and not by anecdotes and stories. Mm -hmm. And then you release people, you release your leaders uh, to fulfill their God-given creativity, uh, to accomplish the goals where they feel like this is mine. I tell each of my uh, subordinates who are managers, I always tell them, you are the captain of your own ship. Mm -hmm. Now that you know the direction we're going, I'm sending you out. Now, it doesn't mean you're on your own. I'm still here to help, to right. provide resources, et cetera, and to make sure that you stay within some boundaries because you can't go beyond certain boundaries or you'll fall off the playing field, so to speak. But yeah. within these boundaries, and we all agree on the goal, now go, 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 and we get <laughs> them going. And then, and then we report back on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and we help each other. There's, a organic, uh, where we're not, where there's an organic sense of we're all in this together. I'm not here to one-up you, you know? And so instead of people pointing fingers at each other at staff meetings saying it's her fault, it's his fault, mm -hmm. they're now uh, reaching out their hand and saying, hey, can I get some help here? Yeah. I need you to help me do this. And I need you to, because we're all in it together and we get rewarded together. We have fun together. Yeah. And then you have to go through the four stages of organizational development. You may not realize that in order to hit on all eight cylinders as an organization, especially in the leadership team, you have to go through these four stages, which take about two to four months each, they say, in mm -hmm. the studies I've read. The first is form. Form is what we've already talked about. It's when you push the reset button like on your oil heater because a new leader has come in or a new direction has been happened or your company just got bought or just got sold. Something brand new big has happened. And you have to push the reset button and you go back to form. Form is when you're establishing the goals, establishing the vision, establishing what the next steps are, and you're pulling the team together. That's yeah. two to four months to make that happen. Then after form uh, comes the storm. And you have to go through the storm phase. People want to run away from the storm, mm -hmm. but don't. The storm is when you step on each other's toes. It's yeah. when you say, Bob, this is your responsibility. Sally, this is yours. And then yeah. Sally steps on Bob's area and Bob says, whoa, wait a minute. That's my area. That's my role. And everybody's upset. And there's, there's, you know, there's new leadership. There's new goals. You've stirred things up. There's a lot of storm happening. But yeah. you need to go through that. Because uh, as a result of that, it's the friction of the gears and you're putting grease on it, which is relationships. You're building relationships during this time to become foxhole buddies. And after the next two to four months of stepping on each other's toes and you as a leader helping to navigate that and navigate those conflicts to always bend toward action, then you come out of that with people fully understanding and being comfortable in their own skin, with their own group, with their own responsibilities, understanding the interdependence which is necessary for the organization to function well, but also knowing where the lines are drawn. Then you come out into a norm phase where you're hitting on six cylinders, I would say, of an eight-cylinder engine. And that mm -hmm. is, okay, we've all got it. We've all you know, uh, had our little arguments and our, and our pouting and our, and our little uh, you know, ego matches, and we're through that now. We've gotten through it, and we're still focused on our goal because our leader has kept us focused on it, even while we're fighting, um, just like out in a regular battlefield, you know, moving toward that hill. Uh, and then you move into the norm stage where people, okay, I'm settling in. I got it. 
Now let's work on some of the institutional requirements to make this happen. You go through that for two to four more months. And then finally, you break through and you're in your perform stage where everyone enjoys working with another one another. You're having fun together. You don't mind the 12-hour days because you're with your best buddies. We're yeah. all working together and we're working toward this goal. And I've been in three or four organizations that are like that. And it is occupational nirvana. You were yeah. just in heaven there. You love it. You wake up in the morning. You can't wait to get into work to see your friends and start working together. That is uh, the final stage of organizational development that we're all working for with our teams. Yes. Yeah. Those are great. Form, storm, norm, and perform. And um, you got it. Uh, there's a lot of information out there on those. So if people are confused about that, please reach out, yes. let us know, um, or, uh, you know, do some good uh, Google research and you can find out some good information on that. But um, yeah. And, and I, one of the things that I want to touch on within that is, uh, you know, Paul, I'm assuming you didn't put things in, in this order throughout our conversation uh, without reason. And that being, you've got to have the right people on the right seat. You've got to have the right team in place to effectively go through these four stages. Because if not, when you get to that storm stage, it's not going to be a storm. It's going to be a natural disaster. And it, yeah, that's right. it will never work properly because with the right people, when you step on toes and you figure things out and you're building these, these kind of foxhole buddy relationships, um, the right people will know how to uh, uh, communicate effectively. They'll know how to respect each other and, and, and what those roles are. But with the wrong people on your team, um, then it, it will get harder and harder because they're going to want to try to maintain control of something or they're going to want to push certain things off to others that they don't want to do that maybe really should fall in their line of responsibility. So you've got to have the right team in place before you can effectively get through these stages. And I would even argue that if you have the right people in place, that that two to four months, you're going to lean more towards the two than you are the four because the right people are in place to say, we want to make this work and we have a common goal and a common vision and we're willing to to put in the blood, sweat, and tears to make it happen. But that team is so critical to making this happen where you get to get to that, that coveted stage of perform where you can enjoy what you're doing. And, and there's a cohesion within the team that we all enjoy what we're doing and the people we get to work around. So don't, don't think that you can just take whatever organization you're in and say, oh, well, we're going to work through these four stages. Forget that first part. Focus on the team and then start building that organization up to something that it truly can be for the future. That's right. A good example of that is, you know, um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book Outliers, the 10,000 hours it's required, you know, to become a success. So right. I was in this band. We didn't quite, quite get 10,000 hours, but I remember the bass player used to say, Paul, I can tell if you're going to change keys just by looking at the back of your neck. <laughs> and uh, so the point is there's these uh, hidden cues that you have with team members. And that's why when you get a new CEO, a lot of times they'll bring a handful of people with them. People yeah. that have been through the battles that kind of understand that unwritten language between them. And, yeah. and so they, that becomes the leaven that leavens the whole lump. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and let me add to that too. This is something that I do and I'll, I'll share with the audience here. Um, I don't know if I've talked about it much on the podcast in the past, but something that I generally do uh, when I step in, um, even as a, as a coach consultant now, but in the past, when I would step into a leadership role with an organization is I'd give it a couple of weeks just to, you know, kind of get to know everybody, get to know me, me, get to know them. But I actually, I do actually have a list still written out of things that people need to know about me because I hate learning a new leader. And so right. you know, figuring out their nuances. And so I actually 
keep a list and I will kind of spend that time and I still do it with new employees. I'll, I'll do that after a few weeks and say, hey, this has been great. I love what's happening here so far. Here's some things that you need to know about me so that you don't walk on eggshells trying to figure it out. These are these are the things that I like. These are the things that I don't like. These are my pet peeves. This is, this is where my expectation is. Um, and so that way they aren't trying to learn those things. And, and so for those that are in those leadership roles, uh, that's something that you may want to consider as well is let's cut some of that learning time down by sharing. Now, you still have to go through the trial. You know, you can tell someone, I don't like this. This is a pet peeve. Don't come to me with solutions without, or, you know, with a problem without having solutions. But people still need to learn that on their own. But at least you've kind of set the foundation to help people understand who you are. And, um, and so that's something that, that for the leaders out there, I want them to, to maybe think about. It might be something that would help them in the future as well as they step into these situations. And if you don't have the luxury of bringing a team with you, go ahead and share the things that you need them to know so that uh, it cuts their learning curve down a little bit. I've been amazed at how appreciative people are of that because they're able to um, kind of come in just learning and, and knowing ahead of time, all right, this is what I needed to figure out. Yeah. Uh, and, and it does, it makes such a huge difference because if not, you can spend six, 12 months just trying to figure out who this person is and, good, Kyle. Yep. and, and never, you know, and, and, and not, you're just not as effective. You're not productive and you don't enjoy going to work every day. And man, what's, what's the point of doing that? You know, we, we spend right. too many hours uh, in our career to, to not enjoy what we're doing. So you got it. Well, Paul, this is great. I, I really appreciate you sharing all the information that you have today. Um, tell us, how can we connect with you, learn more about you, uh, get the book, and, and find out what, what you've got going on out there? Sure. Well, um, you can email me, pcomfortconsulting at gmail.com, pcomfortconsulting at gmail.com. I've got a website, paulcomfort.org. Uh, get the book, Full Throttle, on Amazon. It's electronic or a paperback book. Go to my podcast. Uh, we didn't really talk about that, but Transit Unplugged is a podcast where I've interviewed 50 CEOs over the last year or so of transit systems around the world. TransitUnplugged.com. Uh, it's on you know Google Play, Spotify, iTunes. It was a top 12 iTunes business podcast last year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great way to kind of see how CEOs work and think. Um, and then um, I'm on LinkedIn. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm very active. I put stuff up every day. Uh, I'm a lion on LinkedIn. So find Paul Comfort there or at Comfort Paul is my Twitter handle. So there you go. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing. I uh, highly recommend everybody go um, check out the book. It's a, uh, it's a fairly easy read and it's good because it's, it's relatable and it, um, it's real stories. It's real people, real stories, real situations. And so go check that out. And uh, uh, Paul, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit employerblueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit kylegorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Thank you.